Hello, Acaville Radio. Welcome to another exciting episode of Talk Appella. I'm one half of your host, Brian Alexander. And I'm the other half, John Lampus. John, how's it going, man? How are you doing today? You know, school's going easier. The kids have not resorted to cannibalism. There has been no talk of a mutiny. So you know what? I think it's going okay. I survived back to school night with parents asking me a lot of questions. Nice. And uh, I still have all my limbs. So I think, I, you know what? Ecstatically successful, I would say, <laughs> because I'm not broken down. That is a big win. Uh, they haven't like tied you up and no fires are broken out. And I definitely can bet it's crossed their minds. Middle schoolers can be scary, <laughs> but you know what? It's going good. And I'm looking forward to just a bunch of movies coming out this fall, man. There's so many good <sighs> things, and that's just what's I on my mind you. lately. I know. Which one are you looking forward to the most? <sighs> man, I'm really looking forward to that movie, The Lighthouse, with Robert Pattinson, where he's like in Willem Dafoe, and they're just, I mean, they're at a lighthouse, and that's kind of it and weird stuff apparently happens but i'm super excited because <laughs> robert pattinson's gonna be batman and then i can see him in something like this so that's what's keeping me going what's going on with you man not too much uh and speaking of movies i just saw it chapter two okay i, I heard it wasn't as good as chapter one what's your verdict uh, it was good it was a bit more intense but i don't know if it was good as chapter one but then again i'm also a fan of the original so it's tough okay. you know that's fine all right i'm because i'm gonna go see it at some point but honestly the the people saying yeah it's not as good that's kind of it's worth me. seeing yeah all right it's definitely worth seeing all right anyway Ready to start so, the episode for real now? Yeah, <laughs> now that we got the whole pop culture element done. All right, let's Yeah, uh, after let's we've talk shown everyone time. our personality, everyone, this is how we regularly talk. I mean, actually, no, normally we're talking about... Actually, no, yeah, we're usually talking about acapella we, we or superheroes or pop culture. Actually, yeah. I don't know. Well, fortunate for us, we have a nice little switch up today. We're going to be talking about some barbershop music because we have yeah. none other than Katie Dane. Katie is a director of multiple barbershop groups as well as president of Sing Texas. Katie, welcome to the show. Hello. I'm Texan. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to have Texans on the show. We had some previously, and now we get another one. Wait, who is the I'm other just... Texan? We... Oh, the wait, Austin yeah. The... <laughs> right. Come uh, on, Austin, man. Texas. Yep. I remember that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Sorry. Have we had any other Texans before that? Yes, Aaron. Aaron Schumacher is from Texas as well. Did you set up the guests so we just had a bunch of Texans in a row? Hey. You no, sure? I, no comment on that. No comment. Okay. All right. Same Texas because I'm originally from the Midwest. So. How long have oh. you lived in Texas? Man, it feels like yesterday, but I think I just hit my 12-year mark. I think it counts. I, uh, I think it definitely we're, counts. We're going to claim you. We can claim you at that point. <laughs> I have no qualms with that. Katie, why don't you give our guests a little introduction of yourselves? Tell us a little bit about your background and what you're currently involved in. Yes. In Texas, I direct a Sweet Out Alliance International Chorus, a women's acapella group that is called Acapella Unlimited. And I've been with them since we founded in 2011. And actually, on Tuesday, we're going to be competing at our first international competition in New Orleans. Oh, exciting. Uh, mm. We are in uh, Division A, so we are 24 members and below. And we uh, qualified in the top five in our bracket and so we're going to be competing tuesday night at the smoothie king center and it's going to be streamed <laughs> wait, online what? wait at the what it's literally called the smoothie king center but it's oh, the arena awesome Dude, yeah are there smoothies there there should be i don't know we'll find out. that's really weird if there's not i'm not into that if there's not actually smoothies involved i feel like there should definitely be smoothies there well there's gonna be international competitors and we're preparing a 15 minute show package for tuesday night and one of them has to be a barbershop song but anything else you sing doesn't have to be it could be gospel vocal jazz contemporary acapella anything Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. And I have a few questions around that, but I kind of want to go back a little bit because I got my first introduction to barbershop back in college. My roommate was super into barbershop. I didn't really know anything about it, but I kind of fell in love with it based on his love of it. And I'm just curious, what specifically drove you to barbershop and Sweet Out of Lines and what drove you to that whole genre and style of music? Well, my first introduction to it actually was growing up in church, they would have Jazz Sunday, and they would have a jazz trio that came in. There was clarinet, piano, guitar, upright bass, or some, some combination of that. But then the special music on that service was always a barbershop quartet from one of the local chapters. So it was a men's quartet, and they would sing up-tune hymn-like songs and things. So that was probably the first time but then when I moved down to Texas to go to graduate school at Texas State, I was sharing an office with the men's choir director who happened to direct the local barbershop chapter that rehearsed in the music building where we were having all of our classes. And as you know, graduate school, staying late working and everything, came out to the parking garage and I hear four-part music echoing through <laughs> the <cement> structure. <laughs> I was like, 
Yeah. What is this? <laughs> That's literally describing like my first encounter with it. I remember I went to a vocal majority rehearsal and literally we ended up outside in the parking lot just trying to sing tags. And it's a huge part of the culture. <laughs> just and it's so accessible. And I think that's one of the things that really draws people to it. it was really physically what brought me over to it because I'm like, why are these dudes you now late? And they're singing. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's late. Four part harmony. <laughs> I think that's really interesting you mention how it affected you when you were exposed to it at a young age in church. Brian, I feel like this is a trend we've been seeing a little bit with some of our guests. You know, we mm-hmm. talk about not necessarily doing it from a young age, but just being, whether it's a certain genre, a certain style, singing in general, whatever, being exposed to a certain element of the genre from a young age, and then maybe not necessarily driving right into it and getting into it immediately, but creating that kind of that seed of interest, which I think is really interesting. And it's clear that it seems that a lot of it comes down to accessibility. Our kids and like people around here are they just seeing barbershop i have a lot of kids in choir right now who it's like choir is dumb then like have you ever done it well no and then they like it and i think that's really interesting katie that like i'm curious after you saw that barbershop group in church when you were younger did you always think like oh maybe this might be something i want to do or was it not until you were in grad school and you kind of had that more up close and personal look at it that you decided that was something you wanted to pursue i think the closest thing i found was show choir because mm. it was still the music felt more accessible than doing like william bird or something like that yeah and i liked the choreography aspect of it and there was more theatrics because of either costuming or staging or blocking so kind of my dance background and my choir background merged, I guess, mm-hmm. through Acapella. But it was definitely at grad school that I really had the first opportunity to participate in it because there was another guy in choir and he's like, I want to start a women's acapella group. So we had a little 12 person group called Sugar and Spice and we would do like contemporary acapella or we'd do barbershop. And that was really my first time performing it and like dipping into into the genre. Cool. Very cool. And so I'm curious because I know with what John basically what you were saying in regards to, you know, people just don't know enough about the art form. They kind of have these thoughts about it. You think back to the guys wearing the pinstripe vests and the jackets and being literally in barbershops. Exactly. (laughs) In barbershops. And you think of the novelty aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I think that's why a lot of people aren't necessarily just going straight forward because, you know, it's one of those misconception kind of things. And I'm curious, can you shed a little light on, you know, some of the misconceptions that just like flat out wrong? And I guess I felt that the most because I was in a music school where everything was really focused on like classically trained everything. And then I hear this other style, this other genre, yet they're making great sounds and they're singing in a healthy way. And they're talking about solfege and all the things that I was already doing in graduate school, but yet they were applying it to a totally different genre. So I think that's part of the way that I felt like connected to it because I really had no experience doing barbershop, but I could understand it musically. And so I think that was one of the things where I'm like, it was more bridging the gap of, like you said, the misconceptions of it or the history of what they think it is. And Mm -hmm. so much of barbershop is like community based that unless you're around a more metropolitan area, you might hear groups that maybe are not at the caliber that you would expect Mm. trying to be nice about it but if you go here (laughs) like vocal majority it's going to be a different barbershop experience than if you go to a smaller town that has maybe only 15 people in their chapter but they're still singing acapella music it's just going to be for a different audience or a different level of yeah jumping off what you just said katie and also Brian's point, Katie, about how you got into it, obviously, through your interest in just like music fundamentals and seeing them permutated and used in a different way. I'm curious with kind of some of the stuff Brian was talking about for the people who maybe don't understand that stuff, who who maybe coming at it from a different angle and just kind of trying to navigate the cultural sphere slash corner that barbershop occupies. I'm curious about what kind of antiquated misconceptions you have had to deal with and deconstruct as you're trying to get people involved like oh you should do barbershop like oh sorry i can't grow a mustache so i can't do barbershop or you know i don't know if anyone's giving you that excuse but i'm just curious about the obstacles you faced because of these pretty culturally incorrectly ingrained cultural misconceptions about the art form yeah we see that a lot and a lot of it is that people especially music educators can look down upon other styles that they maybe have heard not performed at the level that they think it should be performed at or that they've heard like 
add choirs or there's going to be levels of everything right but with barbershop music there is that traditional straw hat tie and like garter around the arm image Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's kind of hokey or cheesy and for a while hasn't always had the best vocal production and so when you go hear a group it might not be the level or they might not be teaching the same pedagogy that other choir directors and things have been doing but the genre has really swung back to really making sure that they're teaching healthy singing all the way around and that's where i've seen the biggest change and the biggest impact is really in the music educators over the summer the last two years i've taught at harmony university which is held at belmont university and i've had a music seminar of anywhere from 30 to 55 music educators from around the world coming to learn about barbershop music and so that's a huge hurdle that they have where they think it sounds a certain way or they think the music is at this level and then they look at it and they're like wait this actually could work and because it's acapella i can apply it to any kind of group that i'm directing it could be a mixed group it could be a women's group it could be a men's group mm-hmm. you know young singers with limited ranges then you can get part or you can put it into a key that works for any voice part so a lot of the teachers are drawn to it in that way. And you can take your acapella music anywhere. You don't contemporary acapella, you need mics, you need a VP. And if you don't know how mm-hmm. to teach VP or you're uncomfortable teaching VP, then this is something that people can still do and feel successful doing. And it's gotten so much more popular because of YouTube and the videos and things that have been able to be shared and their outreach that they're doing for next gen kind of stuff. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned some of these visual factors that go along with it that have, I don't, I don't want to say hindered it, but kind of give it in a certain, a particular perception. But I think another aspect that you've also started to hit on is the technical side of it more. And for those who aren't aware, and I didn't even know going into it really, barbershop is very technical. It's a very, it can be high level. It can be a, a tough genre to to sing and to do exceptionally well and recent years I have been watching a lot more videos online and things and I think I love the adaptability of it I love how I'm seeing a lot more groups are taking more modern songs or songs you know I I forgot what I like a, a song that was originally done I think R&B or something like that and I saw like one of the quartets sing it from the uh, Harmony Society and I was like wow that's absolutely amazing so I think it's important to know that there's a lot of in my mind coolness to it in the sense that it can be challenging it can also be adaptable in the same sense. Yeah and the other group that I direct is a men's barbershop chorus through Barbershop Harmony Society and we've got about 35 members in Austin and there was a guy that came to audition for us last year and he you know works a tech job he's about 25 you know he was a child player growing up and just kind of discovered barbershop via YouTube. Uh, He was a huge Disney fan. And so he started looking up Disney videos and he found the Ringmasters, which they're like the, I think, 2016 International Quartet Champions. And they had done a cover of the Notre Dame, the Bells of Notre Mm -hmm. Dame. And he just like fell in love with it. And he was just like, holy crap, like that tag, what, you know, (laughs) heard it. And so he just kept listening to it on repeat. He learned the bass part and he learned the bass part. And then he became a huge barbershop fan. And so he walked in our doors, found us on Facebook and was like, hey, do you guys do like barbershop music here? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we do. (laughs) (laughs) We dabble in this. Yes. (laughs) Rolled in and like wanted to sing in a quartet. And I'm like, so how did you find us? And he said, YouTube. And about two weeks later, he had memorized the song he was singing it in a quartet he could hold his own part and i'm like what you know why barbershop of all the things like you're 25 and he's like my job kind of sucks i wanted to meet some people and i wanted some joy in my life again and i was like what better situation to find that's yourself inspiring in? you know right and and that's what i love about it it's like you never know who's going to come in your door or where they're going to be coming from or what path they're on or if they had background in acapella before or not but they're drawn to it because it is accessible and because you know it's fun and it's quickly satisfying it's harmonically like motivating because everybody loves chords <laughs> and, uh, you know People who love rhythm, you know, like uptunes and all that kind of stuff. I'm curious, Katie, throughout, obviously this guy you got, you just happened to stumble upon it on YouTube and that's like so great that you got him. How do you think barber shoppers, I don't know if that's the mm-hmm. thing yeah. to call you guys, but like how can the art form continue to get people? Like what is the way that you expand beyond one deconstructing these kind of tropes of the straw hat? And mm-hmm. like, it's great that he found it on YouTube, but like, is there a way that there can be not not proactive because obviously you guys are proactive about recruiting and stuff and expanding but is there a more efficient way to get even more and more people on there and as opposed to just kind of hoping that people 
discover mm -hmm. it? Like, what do you think is the way that more people can understand how great barbershop is? Well, there's been some partnerships with the uh, ACDA, like, you know, American mm -hmm. Association. So that's been really powerful. Sweet Adeline's International, Barbershop Harmony Society, Contemporary Acapella. I mean, more of these festival formats are honoring all styles of acapella. And that's one of the biggest things that we do at Sing Texas is we're like, we're honoring the vocal arts. And so whatever platform that we can do to incorporate a vocal jazz group is going to be followed by, you know, a live looper. And it's going to be followed by a barbershop quartet. And then we're going to feature Hive acapella. And then we're going to feature the Rich Tones chorus. And if you have people who love to sing, then they're probably going to love to sing just about anything. Mm -hmm. There's just more opportunities for that. That's I see that that's where everything's going with like AEA and large organizations taking yeah. a more active role in promoting all genres. Totally. That's really cool. And, and yeah. one of the things we're trying to do is really start with the music educators because you know, as soon as I had like 50 of those teachers in the room and said, okay, where do you struggle with your kids? And where do you find that the kids are getting frustrated? And a lot of it is how to read or what their range is and how do you get them confident in, in the parts they're doing. And so we use tags as part of that, how to teach mm -hmm. sight reading, how to teach independent art singing or how to duet or how do you harmonize. And I was just doing that today, fifth period with seventh and eighth grade boys and girls. And we taught them a tag <laughs> and then like, wait, so we can stand together and do like four on it, you know, and do a little Can you tell me to my seventh and eighth graders <laughs> how to do that, please? It was, it was great. And I mean, I can advocate for that because growing up sight reading, like I didn't know solfege and I didn't know accidentals. We did everything on a neutral syllable and just would try and sing. And my sight reading got so much better through barbershop because I learned how do I do a sharp four to a four, a fee to a fa. Like mm -hmm. that's so much of my reading ability improved because of that. And then the contemporary acapella stuff, that's where all the rhythm comes in. So my instrumental side is said there. <laughs> yeah, and I love the fact that you brought up these festivals are really trying to kind of break down these barriers of just segmenting one form of a particular art. It just seemed like in the past, there's even with the emergence of acapella festival and things like that, you know, they were just primarily limited to, okay, contemporary acapella. And now things like Sing Texas, as you're, you're mentioning, kind of incorporates, you know, it's barbershop, it's looping, it's all these other different vocal areas. And I think that that's really cool. And I think that's a perfect segue and tie-in actually, because you have Sweet Adeline's coming up, uh, the international convention. And I, I'm just curious, uh, because I don't know much about that. Could you talk to us a little bit about what goes on at these kind of conventions, uh, you know, from a competition standpoint, as well as just an educational standpoint, because I think that's so important to really get that exposure out there. Yeah, the Sweet Adeline's international organization has a youth focus where they call it rising stars. So quartets, basically girls age 14 and up to 26 can make quartets and compete at a regional level, qualified international. And then women 26 and up can also be in quartets or choruses. So the one that's coming up this week is all the people that qualified top score in their regions are all coming to New Orleans to compete. And so they kick it off with the smaller choruses on Tuesday night. It's kind of like how high schools work, like 6A, 5A, 4A. They've got mm -hmm. the smaller two divisions on Tuesday. And then quartets start competing. Um, and they've got semifinals, quarterfinals, finals rounds, basically for about three days. And then the larger choruses prepare a competition set. So according to the barbershop standards of what chord function and musical and singing and showmanship and expression, they're judged on all those categories and the choruses will compete for two songs and then if their score is high enough in the top 10 then they'll advance to finals round Saturday and then at that point they can do a 15 to 20 minute show package and that's where it branches over into the musical theater and show choir side that we we're talking about mm -hmm. because you can in involve you know different costuming features or props or a script and then there's more flexibility as far as what genre you're singing in so you'll see a lot of crossover on the chorus side of it as well so i'm curious in regards to the the showmanship portion of the show how crazy are we talking like with the costume changes i knew you were going to say that the, i knew i knew I, you were going to say know. that and you were going to ask that because i was going to ask that if you <laughs> didn't i was like i should let brian talk now so it's costumes. funny cause on the men's side they're known for like you know tuxedos and things and it, mm -hmm. it's not the straw hats anymore i mean there's oh, like some really nice looking outfits out there and fancy shoes and things and they'll do they're kind of known for like the pull away vests like a circa oh, 1994 oh, oh, oh. you know so they'll have one color and then they'll like strip off one color and there'll be a reveal 
of some kind. But I mean, you'll see just about anything. You'll see uh, normal like shirts and ties and vests, bow ties or whatever, or just suit jackets. What's the craziest costume you've seen? Oh, craziest? Well, you can find it on YouTube, but one of the big reveals was when the Ambassadors of Harmony, they're in uh, St. Louis area, they did a Music Man set. And so they were in like normal tuxes. And then all of a sudden, each time there was this dynamic climax in the song and the set, they would show another color and then like trombones would come out. <laughs> out and they had a full costume change for the band leader i mean it was it was epic (laughs) oh my gosh and then uh for the current winners for westminster chorus they're out of california they did a full greatest showman set so Mm, uh, kind of period costumes but then kind of all similar color palettes on the women's side i think it was last year scottsdale chorus they did a jump set and so they literally rolled out trampolines small four foot trampolines and part of their choreography included singing the song jump while their front row was Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think we need to incorporate more trampolines into the podcast going forward. I think so. Now that I know it can be done. You know, it's really just been, it's clearly been lacking in the the, the amount of trampolines. So we got to, we really, I don't think there's ever been a trampoline featured on an episode of Tacapella. So it's clearly. I don't think so. It's time. Especially if we just keep our mic stands, then you just hear. Hello, yeah. To welcome to Tacapella. This is gonna be really, really fun. I'm excited. So I'm I'm curious with with all the the theatrics and the craziness that I'm hearing about now. You know how do how do the judges like score all of that? Do they love seeing things like that? Is mm. it something that's just commonplace now? Is it it's risky or you know where does it fit? It's definitely everybody wants to make a statement. And everybody wants to make an impact. And that's one of those things going back when Deke was at one of our festivals. He's like, what's the, what's the point as an audience member, as a performer? You're going there to feel something or to be moved. And I think every chorus and every quartet is towing the line of like, how far do they want to go? What kind of statement do they want to make? And for Acapella Unlimited, that was one of our big things is we're thinking about, okay, who are we? What are we about? And how are we going to design and create a package that reflects who we are? So, I mean, you'll see a little bit of everything. But as far as the judges, they are drawn to themes that's for sure because if your set can tie together if it's a show package meaning it's like the longer 15 minute or 20 minute set then it needs to feel like there's good flow to it so Mm -hmm. a lot of things that you would see from a musical you think about how songs move from one to the next are you contrasting up tempo and slow tempo songs are there mid tempo songs does it feel like there's a good climax in the set or do you put all your slow songs first and your fast songs like that's mostly what people are trying to map out so that they can have something that's cohesive that's some pretty fascinating stuff. I just I think it's really cool for people who don't necessarily understand the intricacies and the kind of idioms of barbershop culture to just understand these little parts of it. Like, yeah, this is I didn't know what you meant by like a reveal. Clearly, like you mapped it out. Okay, mm-hmm. they take off one vest and show another. Like these are things that are not cultural mainstays in a lot of other genres mm-hmm. of vocal music. Right. And I think it's I'm really excited for more non-barbershop people to learn about it and see like what they can take from it or just full-on get involved and how standard contemporary acapella barbershop all that stuff how those genres can evolve by being more intertwined or just being in contact with one another Mm -hmm. and breaking down those cultural barriers we gotta take a quick break here we are gonna be right back we've been talking with katie dane today on tacapella and stay tuned because we'll be back in just a few moments Aw, shoot. I just missed my favorite Acaville show. What? It gets rebroadcast on Sundays? Great news! You, too, can tune in on Sundays for Rebroadcast Sunday, where we replay all of our original programming twice, once in the morning and once in the evening. Check out our schedule on Acaville.org so that you can tune into your favorite show again. Acaville, the best in acapella shows and music, rebroadcast on Sundays. And welcome back to Tacapella. Just before the break, we were talking about the crossover of the different genres of acapella. And it's crazy because my involvement with contemporary acapella, barbershop, and, you know, teaching choir at school, uh, we've just been seeing so much of all of the great things being barred from every competition, every festival, every performance. And I'm really looking forward to this fall because we've got our Texas Vocal Arts Convention coming up with Sing Tech. Yeah, I, I really like the the whole having the guests just keep talking afterwards. That, hey, that might, we, that we just tried so that live. Smoothly? I mean, this isn't live, but listeners that that we we literally just thought of doing that. Like, well, let's just have Katie talk, and then it worked. So. That, great. That was great. 
I probably didn't great. need uh, to draw attention to it, but I just I, I was I really liked that. Okay, it's, <laughs> on it's with right. the episode. We, and no, I think that that's a great point to make with Sing Texas. I'm, I've actually been a participant at Sing Texas years ago. I'm not going to say in the early earlier days of Sing Texas. So I know how great of a thing it is, especially with the, the Texas acapella culture growing. I think it's such a great initiative to really just bring out all the different people who are contributing to this community, which we were talking a little bit about community. Katie, you mentioned community earlier with the barbershop, Sweet Adelines. And I think it's also super heavily influenced. Um, important the current contemporary space as well so I'm just curious with Sing Texas you know what's some of the the aim of the program what's the goals that Sing Texas looks to accomplish um, is it just you know just kind of bringing all the musicians together on the run roof do you guys uh, have other endeavors you're trying to really promote and push out what what's going on with Sing Texas most of the mission is really about outreach performance opportunity um, education uh, and really for all age groups we've mm-hmm. been focusing a lot more mm-hmm. on you know, high school and collegiate level, because that's where kind of the buzz is right now mm-hmm. with the, you know, popularity of uh, ICHSA and ICCA that we've had many, many more groups that have been founded in Texas. And, you know, just the region is really, really growing as far as who's doing it, what they're doing and how many people are doing it. And so that's kind of been one of our goals is how do we get all those people together so everybody can learn from each other and we can just kind of create that buzz and, and just get information out to people. Because a lot of the, the directors that are reaching out to us are like, hey, I want to do this thing. My kids want to do this thing, but how do we get started? And now we're seeing kind of the fruits of the labor because now we've got really strong collegiate groups in Texas that are going out and going out of state and, and finding some really awesome opportunities. Yeah. So just building that infrastructure and bringing more people in, I think is awesome. Katie, can you tell us a little bit more about what Sing Texas has done and like kind of where you guys are going? Yeah, so we have been, we kind of got started because we had a Contemporary Acapella Society Texas ambassador, John Hodges, and he partnered up with and went to visit the Sing Toronto Festival. And that's kind of where kind of the partnership started. And it's really just blossomed from there. So that was about circa 2014. And I went to my first Sing Texas event in 2015 and brought my kids to it. And it was really kind of the only thing that was around that we could go and do that was involving acapella for youth. Mm-hmm. You know, the barbershop choruses, unless you are in the chorus or unless you know someone who's in the chorus, it's kind of hard to, to bring up, you know, 25 kids to it and say like, hey, what are we gonna do? But all these other festivals were kind of making those opportunities happen. So that was kind of how I got exposed to it. And then in uh, Austin, they had brought uh, Deke Sharon and Vocalocity. And so they were bringing in all these like, you know, big names and had workshops and they had uh, master classes and they had demo concerts. And then you could see a big kind of headliner show at the end of the day. So that was one of my big draws of how I found it. I brought like 75 kids and John's like, hey, it might help if you came on board and gave us a little bit more insight on how do we get involved with more educators and how do we get more kids involved and fast forward four years now and so I've been president the last two years and now we have a bunch of music educators on the board and <laughs> we're kind of launching this TVAC Texas Vocal Arts Convention continue what we were talking about before is creating a platform for more styles of acapella groups and capitalizing on the education aspect of it for all the directors and the students and collegiate groups that are trying to just get more information and learn how to arrange and how to do VP or how do you start a barbershop group in your school? Like, Yeah. And I, th- I think that's one of the major benefits. And I think we don't share it enough or maybe we do. And it's just kind of this unspoken thing, but the, the networking aspect of it, I see so many people that I know from college groups and people who are doing kind of the post-collegiate stuff and they're connecting with all these other people that are big names, big arrangers, event producers, things like that. And it's like, oh yeah, we met like at a soul jam and we met at a boss or whatever. And I love the fact that this is kind of being tied into Texas finally within these last years, um, just really giving groups the experience exposure to each other. I'm like, I didn't even know about half the high school groups that were in Texas until I started really seeing the work that's being done by like Sing Texas and all these other ICHSA events and things like that. And so I, I love that 
there's this whole network being created, which I think is so important to the vocal arts community at the end of the day, because the people inside it are the lifeline to really bringing other people into it. So that's that's really cool. And I'm curious in regards to you being kind of the president of the organization, is there what are your responsibilities you're working towards now? Is it a year round thing? Do you kind of do it as it demands or as it requires or, you know, what's do your you involvement? Do you require there? that they call you Madame President? Because <laughs> no. you should. Just, just saying. No. My email is not Madame President at Texas Tech. I think that would be a real power move. And I think even just like contacting whoever's in charge of like IT or all your technical stuff, like, hey, I just need to make an email change, you know, just, just a real thing. And yeah, oh, all right. No, it is not like that at all. <laughs> uh, it is a year round thing. Uh, we do have kind of like our flagship weekend is the one in November. And that just for the Texas calendar and how things work, that's really just the best time for us to do it, especially for you know, the people that are competition focused, having something that's pinnacle in the fall for them to work towards and get feedback and that kind of thing, it really kind of helps launch the year. Mm-hmm. As far as my responsibilities, I mean, as president, I'm, you know, facilitating between all the people, but we're we're all working remotely, kind of like what you guys are doing. Like none of us live in the same city necessarily. So mm-hmm. phone conferences, you know, lots of email chains and Google Drive is an amazing thing. (laughs) That is the lifeblood of this show. It saves lives. Everything about the show is on Google Drive. (laughs) For sure, yeah. That's that's a big thing that's coming up next is we're working on, you know, venue details and getting our schedule and the workshops that we're going to be offering for the weekend set up. And then, you know, the headliners, that that, that kind of stuff we really have to plan pretty far out. So there is more of that pre-planning that, it gets done but then all the details and logistics and things are happening yeah (laughs) in regards to just you mentioning like headliners and things like that when you guys look for people to come participate at these events is it just you know what kind of dictates you know who you kind of bring to these events at the end of the day are you trying to just get whoever's like trending and you know acapella groups they kind of have this ebb and flow thing sometimes or is it someone who who might have a long illustrious history or you know what are you personally looking for in regards to what you want to show to people that are coming to these festivals yeah sometimes it kind of works both ways like we're always trying to figure out you know what is the need and what's the desire of the of the community and right now there is definitely higher interest in contemporary acapella and in barbershop but we have a really great up-and-coming vocal jazz group uh, in the dallas area so they're going to be on our show this year and then if it works out like the swingles are coming through or uh vocal is going on too right then it's like okay so how can we kind of tack on to that so one of our previous festivals we had done like a real men sing and so we had 108 6th through 12th graders that came and we did a couple barbershop songs. We partnered up with the local barbershop chorus. We had a coaching quartet that came down from Dallas. And then we did a one-day workshop. And then they got to perform on the pre-show to the Straight No Chaser concert. So, oh, awesome. It's like, no, we did not hire Straight No Chaser. No, <laughs> <laughs> But we can create an event around something that, that is already existing and give you know those people an opportunity to do something. I'm curious, kind of taking the big scale of things we're talking about and bringing it down to the smallest kind of possible lens of it, essentially. You know, we're talking a lot about the goals of Scene Texas in regards to incorporating different genres, spreading the word, all that stuff. I'm curious, Katie, what have you seen as a middle school choir director? I'm really curious, what would you consider things that more classical educators maybe people who are a little more sanctioned off in the choral world what are some things that and you, i think you touched on this earlier a bit with how you developed uh, specifically as a sight reader what are some things that you have seen current choral educators kind of bring into their repertoire of teaching techniques and please tell me so i can do them yes <laughs> so the biggest thing i would say is the first step that people take is they find a song that they like that is a cappella that they think their kids are going to like that they feel like they can be successful teaching. So that might not be the most complicated, you know, barbershop or contemporary acapella song, but it's something, you know, like take a deke arrangement or something like that. Or one of the, you know, pentatonics things that's on J.W. Pepper that's a Mark Reimer. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, they can listen to it, they can hear it, they can see how the parts are laid out. And it's bit easier you know as far as readability and then incorporating that into the classroom I always start with tags even if I'm going to be doing a contemporary piece 
you have to be able to support those kids so that they can have independent parts. And you're teaching them how to do a bell chord or how do you tune a fifth? Do you use solfege for that? Or how do you match vowel? And so we're not deviating from those core teaching concepts, but we can take that, we can take healthy singing, we can take musicality, we can take dynamics, all that, and just apply it to this other style or this other genre. And the kids love it because, you know, they're like, oh, man, we're singing pentatonics. This is awesome. Now we're singing this barbershop song that we saw this championship quartet do. So I think that's kind of where the easiest steps are made as far as incorporating into rehearsal, whether it's like, you know, let's do a little sight reading or let's teach a tag because it's, you know, only four measures. And so the kids feel gratified by it because they feel successful and they're not having to learn like a whole brand new song. Mm-hmm. So that's how it starts off. How do you find that incorporating these things affects the culture of your classroom or anyone's classroom like you just said like maybe the kids are more excited because they're doing something they know or that is a little bit more relevant or it's more in the zeitgeist or it's more in the popular culture that they're consuming how do you find it affects the overall feel of your classroom well the big thing is really that it draws people in so it draws an interest i mean if you go out and you can perform like we did a happy birthday arrangement four part really easy it's a barbershop arrangement we taught it to a mixed choir we've been going out and surprising the teachers that have birthdays so we mm. show up in like mm-hmm. four part and we stand at their door and we sing a, a nice little rendition of happy birthday I'm like oh that's so sweet but then they're like wait here's all the harmony you know and so our seventh and eighth graders just learned how to do tay and tea and tea and nice. fa these last couple weeks and so now we can go into doing like a contemporary song and say hey remember when you had that accidental on that flat and it was this and now they have like a point of reference yeah, you're building their repertoire and understanding of mm-hmm. the art forms. That's really cool. That's just for me. I'm going to I'm going to steal this stuff. Well, and that's you were going back to talking about like the people that are more classically trained. If you think about what are you trying to do? You're trying to build sight reading ability mm-hmm. and independent singing and intonation. I mean, what better way to work on intonation than to do a cappella music? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, I'm just listening to all this. I'm just like, I'm just so jealous because we never did any of this stuff back in choir, back in high school. And I'm just like, I love all of these kind of real world applications and bringing it in and going to other classrooms and singing happy birthday. You know, I would have killed just to be able to go sing happy birthday. You guys never got out of the classroom and went and sang to someone? Dude, we're literally going to do that. Like in two weeks because i just need to get these they're all they're only singing in unison right now because there was mm-hmm. no choir program last year and 80 of the 90 didn't choose choir but like i'm gonna try and out go out there like all right sing for these people get that <laughs> get that high of having a successful performance and i think it's so cool the stuff katie's talking about in ways that we can frame that for them and give them those opportunities because i don't know my choir director did it once but it's a little weird to like go around mm-hmm in with the whole choir and like sing a classical like eric whitaker piece to a science class we did that it was it was weird um it was cool but it was weird whereas like that's too long like what's happening yeah like we went and did sleep in the science lab on the third floor and i was like this is strange not gonna lie but this notion of like okay go and sing happy birthday which is yeah. in, in a barbershop style using these techniques and these styles that we're taking teaching you and understanding these idioms that's super cool and that reinforces how culturally relevant the same things you're teaching in this different art form can be. If you're just teaching tall vowels and you only contain that to whenever you're doing a classical choir piece and that's all you're giving them, then they don't see, Mm -hmm. oh, well, it's important to still use tall vowels or like forward Mm -hmm. resonance even when I'm doing something that's popular. And that's why the people who are doing them sound good, et cetera, et cetera. Just like taking the things that are important and showing to them in these different contexts and then putting that context literally out in the open that's how you get kids in man sorry little rant but teach it it's important yeah well and it's about the culture and the perception of the culture and that's kind of Mm -hmm. one of the things going back to with barbershop is that like i I think over the last three or four years like my my knowledge of vocal pedagogy has increased so much because i understand the science behind it and it's the people in the barbershop community that have enlightened me towards that Mm. and it's it's because they are so inclusive and they are so accepting and they're like oh you want one more come 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 you know like we're here and not to say that like i didn't get that instruction it's just the science has progressed so much over the last 10 years like the vocal mri machines and all this that we just didn't have when our choir directors were teaching us everyone must have this shape of a vowel or everyone must have this much space and i'm learning oh wait maybe that's creating some tension and maybe that's why my vocal tract is not shaped the same as anyone else's stuff like that yeah And it's so cool just all the sharing that goes on, like you're talking about. Yeah, and I guess bottom line is that if we can just all teach healthy singing and healthy vocal Mm -hmm. 
production, we should be able to sing and to support our kids or our colleagues singing whatever genre they want. <laughs> yeah, well said. Go out and sing karaoke, my adult singers. And they're like, man, I was doing that thing where like, I kind of kept my head aligned, you know, instead of like doing that. <laughs> and then, and it was Katie just jutted her head forward. Yes, so I did. Sorry. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it, you know, it really worked. Yeah, good for you. Like, we did, you know, copy that's paste what we're supposed to do. <laughs> And along with this kind of the healthy teaching techniques and uh, learning and everything with that, I, I think it what you guys are making me realize it's it's so important to have a good learning culture at the end of the day, because mm-hmm. once you establish that, then you can kind of branch out and do all these other cool things. And it really puts everything in perspective at the end of the day. And I think that's so much what it all comes down to, you know, what kind of culture are you really creating, whether, you know, you're an instructor, an educator or you're someone, you know, administration or, you know, you're just a member of the group at the end of the day what kind of culture do you want to be a part of and you know it's ones like these that that show that hey there's so much more debt to everything that is being done that you might not realize at the time and you just need someone to kind of facilitate it in a healthy environment yeah in a collaborative way brian there was an episode that it's one of my favorites and i can't remember which one it was it might have just been one with you and me but we were talking about how acapella can learn things from outside of not just the genre like looking at like classical or pop or whatever i mean acapella is pop obviously but how acapella can learn things from how i can't remember exactly what i said it but like how sports set things up or like how looking mm. at different fields of yeah activities and studies i remember i talked to i went to an acda convention and this guy who was both a choir director and an assistant football coach took the way they were recruiting for football and used for choir and then his numbers jumped and that's kind of a similar thing i think we're talking about here is not only sharing, but actively seeking to collaborate. Not just like, here's the information. Let me show you how to do it. Let me show you how to implement that. And I think the challenges that people face with that is kind of like what Katie was talking about and kind of what we've talked about, Brian, is just not only like how people can kind of wall themselves off, like classical choral musicians only want to be with, uh, we only do things classically, but I think in the sense that, you know, singing is such a vulnerable art. And frankly, there can be very like unhealthy social practices that surround that because people want, whether it's self-aggrandizement or, you know, just talking bad about someone's voice or thinking, you know, Katie, you were talking about like, you know, people kind of looking down on barbershop culture, stuff like that. And that stuff is like systemic to a lot of like vocal arts culture, choir culture, solo vocal performance which is not great and I've had a lot of discussions with my colleagues about this stuff you go to a convention and everyone hangs out and then everyone when they go home just spends the night talking crap about each other like that's unfortunately a huge part of this a part of vocal arts culture right now and I think that kind of what Katie's talking about in actively trying to collaborate is will kind of bring the it will improve the culture and decrease the number of not incidents but it will improve the culture by mitigating and decreasing the amount of unhealthy toxic cultural practices that are in general vocal arts culture and like the biggest way to do it like you said katie is just like all right what can classic choral musicians learn from barbershoppers like just something like reaching across kind of the aisle and i think that's super important for people of all genres to hear and to just be aware of in how you're saying brian like improving a culture creating a culture framing a culture especially when like um we're in the role of teaching we're showing our kids what is the culture that we are creating and how you should handle these things and collaborating across art forms using the same instrument using your voice i think is really a great way of showing healthy culture building in action as it's happening to students Mm -hmm. yeah for sure and i I think i mean i've been really blessed in the people that have been in the community in Texas because they don't just say that, but they follow it up with action. Mm-hmm. So they're reaching out, they're helping each other, offering like free coaching or, hey, do you need help building an acapella program? Or you're like, want to try out a contemporary acapella arrangement? Just, you know, phone or email. And and I think we're really lucky in that in Texas, it's still young and growing, but it's mm-hmm. starting from the roots of it. It's starting all from that collaboration. Aspect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what I also love about the the Texas acapella space at the end of the day, whereas all these other regions, they're a little bit more defined. They have a lot more history to them. I'm like, you look at the West Coast, East Coast, there's been groups and organizations that have been out there for decades. And Mm -hmm. Texas, it's still in its infancy almost to me. And you, it can still be molded to what it needs to be. And you can put the right people in place to really help one another out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess like kind of, you were asking a while back, like what's the ultimate goal with seeing Texas? I mean, 
it would be amazing. I don't want to put this out too much in the public, but like if I didn't have to teach, but I got to help teach, like mm-hmm. that would be really great, right? Because I could just be that advocate or I could be that resource and be there for the teachers that need someone that's got the background or that, that wants to come in and say, hey, how do I do this with my choir or whatever? How do I do this with my barbershop group? No, but I think that's like a really good point about taking this desire to improve and collaborate and like putting it in the DNA of the instruction and in the infrastructure of it, like something that we're hiring at like my school, they're getting, it, it doesn't really apply to me, but like getting an instructional coach who's literally like helping you like teaching psych, helping the teachers understand how they teach and just giving us those, which is a good thing to do and not kind of sanction off into the two or three times a year we go to a conference to learn how mm-hmm. to do these things and then forget it and then come back right. and remember it. And, and I think what you're talking about wanting to go out and be the person who helps teach, putting the idea and the practice of collaboration and, and frankly, kindness into the infrastructure itself, which I think is a really revolutionary and important idea. I guess one of the things too, is like with having a convention style versus a festival style, that's kind of where we're trying to go. And with Deke, he was our clinician last year and kind of our headliner. And he asked those same questions. What's your mission? Like, what's your goal? What's your ultimate dream of if you could see this 10 years from now? And all of us, you know, we'd love to be a boss. We'd love to be a so jam. But we know what Texas has already in the choral culture. And the best thing to do is to offer as many things that are in the vocal arts so that we can appeal to as many styles and as many genres so that we could have, you know, an adult community choir come in or we could have a junior high mixed choir come in or we could have, you know, the next ICCA champion, but they'd all be at the same place, all getting like master classes, workshops, clinicians, like everything just all together. Yeah. And I think maybe that's what Texas is probably just should end up being at the end of the day. I'm like, who's to say that we need to be the next boss or soul jam? You know, why not just be that organization, that convention that brings all of that together in in one space? Because like you said, I'm like the the choral space here is really strong. I'm like the music scene here is is really strong. There's so much to offer, even with the youth here. So I, I think that, yeah, it's it's wonderful that this is being discussed now to try and figure out, you know, what can sing Texas end up being at the end of the day definitely so with that we're going to take a short break we've been uh talking with katie dane here and man we've been talking about some really great items here but uh we're going to take one more short break and bring it back for our final segment so join us in just a few minutes every week for an hour we hand over the keys to the station to wait is that right the listeners It's true. You, our listeners, can choose what we play for our requests and dedications hour. You can catch it every Thursday at 9 p.m. in the East, 6 p.m. Pacific, and then again on Sundays at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. East, 2 a.m. and 2 p.m. in the West. It's a chance for you to head to our website, pick some tunes that you want to request, or make a dedication. We'll play them right here on our air. Thanks for tuning back in to Talk Appella. We have been speaking with Katie Dane and what an episode it has been. We've been uh, learning a little bit about the Sweet Adelines as well as Barbershop and the upcoming convention. Doing a lot of deep stuff talking about. Yeah. This has been a great episode for me as someone in my third week of teaching. <laughs> okay, I should I'm do like, that. I'm sure you've got and like a lot that. of tips and I'm gonna out try of this that. One. I'm just trying to get my yeah. kids to sing in harmony right now and it's not working. So I'm excited to just take this stuff. Also, Brian, you know what I realized yeah. on this episode? We didn't mention game of thrones once i know that was it was going to be a record but now yeah and then i ruined it like i realized that i was like oh i gotta bring it up also new game of thrones prequels happening we should talk about that soon brian but get that on the next episode but (laughs) but uh going back to katie and also we've been speaking a lot about instruction and you know Mm -hmm. just kind of the culture around teaching music and that's been really exciting as well so we thank katie so much for giving us all this wonderful insight and now we are going to pressure her for just a little bit more insight as we wrap up this final segment as per tradition we always ask our guests if they could offer the acapella community one piece of advice what would it be and so katie we pose that same question to you my answer is this to step outside of your comfort zone because then you win at life right you're winning at life so i have one exercise that i use in all of my acapella groups whether it's contemporary or barbershop and i think it goes all the way back to high school but it's really fun and you have to do it to tempo so for our classical musicians out there that want to work on maintaining a tempo in an ensemble all right i'm listening closely all right and then also for teaching beginning beatboxing all right the order is the letter f the letter r the letter p the letter t the letter k 
and then the CH combo. So you do four of each one. Oh, I saw someone do this. I need to do that. So that's the first half, right? So you're working on steady beat. And then you do it two times through. Then oh. a halfway, three times. That's cool. I'm doing wow, it. Wow, that is I, awesome. I have it's not fun. written my lesson plan tomorrow, so now I, I mean, that's not the only thing I can do. Let's just do that for 46 yeah. minutes. That's awesome, but I, I can't roll my R, so I feel like I can, I'm going to be a I can't disadvantage. either. Dude, that's awesome. Okay, I feel, feel a lot better now that you can't either. Yeah. Did, wait, do you have a tip for not being able to roll R's? What do you do in that case? You just got to practice. Oh, just a T? Okay. A D. No, a D. Oh, a D. I used to not be able to roll my R. I, I had to teach myself how to do it. Yeah, really? you just got to practice. Maybe that should be episode 100 Ooh. instead of our guest we've booked for episode 100. It's just Ryan and I practicing Same. rolling our R's <laughs> for an hour. Just like us berating each other. Like, God, Brian, that just sucked. Man, you're really bad at this. Why don't your T's sound better, John? Come on, get it together, man. <laughs> Actually, that'd be, that'd be really, really funny. That'd not be fun for Amanda to edit, but still. <laughs> Sweet. Katie, that, thanks so much for coming time. on today and just having fun talking both critically important things and nonsense with us. If people want to get a hold of you, see what you're all about, learn about Sync Texas, learn about the groups you work with, anything you do a cappella, how could they do that? My best email is Katie, K A T Y, at singtexas.org. And if you're interested and you're like, in the Texas regional area. Our festival coming up, it's the Texas Vocal Arts Convention and it's November 15 and 16. And we're going to be in the DFW area. And our website is singtexas.org. So that's Sing Texas. And then I direct Acapella Unlimited. And you should tune in on Tuesday night because it's a free webcast and you can watch it online. Anybody around the whole entire world. Sweet ads webcast.com. And we go on at 629 Central Time. So tune in and give us a shout out. That's I think that's the same time as ta- as when Tacapella airs. Oh, that's okay because we go on iTunes right after it when I remember yeah. to upload it. So that should be fine. And then I direct Acapella Texas, and we are based in Austin, and uh, we go to district competition in four weeks. So that's my next adventure after international on Tuesday with my Sweet Adelines group. Back to back time competition. Brian, where can people find you, man? As always, you can find me on Twitter at the Brian Alex, and then go follow all the work that I do with College Acapella on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You ever going to tell them your personal Instagram? Because it's not because, they, no. you know, like, I'm, I'm not going to say it, but I just I just think your handle is great. Because when you, I'm not, I'm not, I won't say it on air. But when you followed me, I was like, just got this weird handle. Then I was like, oh, I get it. I, I'll say it. that if you go on my Twitter at some point, you probably can look at my posts and find my yeah. Instagram handle, but I won't say it on air. Okay. So it's, a little mystery there. It's a really great Instagram handle. People try and find it because it's really <laughs> great. And then everyone, you can find me in the same place at John Lampus on Twitter and Instagram. Follow everything Acaville Radio does at Acaville Radio, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And then make sure to follow Tacapella at Tacapella on Twitter and our website, Tacapella.org, where we post all of the episodes. And after they're posted, they go on iTunes, so you can listen to us there as well. Thanks for tuning in. Katie, thanks so much for joining us today. Super fun having you on. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for joining us. And as always, for everything acapella, stay tuned.